Jeremy, 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 Jeremy. Hey. You know, I have that on Spotify now, and uh, it is getting a lot of listens, I got to tell you. Yeah, big streams. Big streams. <laughs> hey, buddy, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am good. I am good. It's uh, it's still kind of nice out, and that's that's exciting. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about. It's been a wild week for me so far, so I'm excited to be here with you and with all of our friends on Wingman. Yeah. Would you say like this week in a way like I, I want to say it flew by, but I'm trying to make it more like fly by. Like a yeah, flyby? Just a little fly joke. I don't know. <laughs> Pretty fly for a white guy. Yeah, there's a it's it's hard it's hard to pick the best Twitter account because there's a couple of them already. <laughs> yeah, but that'll be boy this this conversation. Someone listening, imagine like someone discovered our podcast in like six years and is listening to this like what what was that about that that made no sense. Right, I can't recall the topic because no one's ever going to remember that topic. Probably not. All right, let's move on and have some fun about movies. Let's do it. Uh, and I wasn't trying to get political. I'm just saying there was a funny incident. That's all. You could make a movie about that. So uh, where are we starting, buddy? What do we want to do first? I think I think we're starting in 1986. Let's do it. February 14th. One week to the day after the release of FX in theaters. <laughs> Otherwise, absolutely nothing in common with that movie. <laughs> Directed by Michael Ritchie, the director of Fletch, Fletch Lives, The Golden Child, and The Bad News Bears, we have Wildcats. Let's do a quick cast and crew, shall we? Ready for this list? Ready. Are you ready? Now, you All watched ready. the preview, right? I sure did. Right, because anyone who doesn't know, JT watches the preview. Otherwise, I'm a Gen Xer, picks a movie from my 80s childhood that was on cable reruns forever, tries to pitch him with whatever's sitting up in the, that that central lobe i don't know some lobe of the brain and uh have lots of things that i get wrong when we figure out if jt wants to watch the movie after that so we have starring goldie hahn Susie kurtz who you may not know jan hooks from uh, snl yeah before your time i'm not sure bruce mcgill from all of the 80s nipsey russell from before the 80s a young wesley snipes a young woody harrison harrelson ll cool J. A young McKelty Williamson, who, if you don't know, is Bubba Gump. So we've got quite the cast for this movie here. Hmm. Uh, did, did were all of those in the preview? Did you know Woody was in the movie? So I I I saw Woody. He's definitely in the preview. I they didn't credit Wesley Snipes, but I saw him and I was like, oh look, a little baby Wesley Snipes. I for sure didn't see LL Cool J though. So please continue. All right, LL Cool J is basically a rapper in the movie rapping the least rapidity rap song you've ever heard. <laughs> and that I remember. In fact, I didn't remember it being LL Cool J. I was just looking at the cast. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know what scene this is. And I don't think that was LL at his finest. We'll just leave it at that. That's funny. So here we go. Goldie Hawn has been raised to love football. Like, it's in her bones, JT. Her dad was, like, all football. You know this because the establishing shot has, like, football on all the walls. There's, like, pennants hanging, all that kind of stuff. Um I don't know, maybe her dad passed away or left them or who knows. Uh, but like she she was so raised football that, of course, just like Mr. James Tiberius Kirk, she better be a football person. Sure. Uh, and and like there's a montage and everything. So it's serious. OK, now it's the 80s. So I'm just going to run through some of the requirements of our movie. Rebellious teen. Check. A T-top car driving around. Check. Divorcing parents. Check. High school kids giving teachers super levels of grief. Check. Uh, guest appearance by M. Emmett Walsh. Check. Uh, <laughs> lots of what do girls even know about football? Check. And insane sequence of events to make it seem like a single mom with a good career is an abject failure and then some milquetoast man ready there to swoop in. Check. And wait, is that man also her ex-husband? Check. So... <laughs> That's just making sure we've got all our, our 80s trope stuff going pretty well. So we've got that out of our way. So Goldie, as I might have hinted at, likes her some football. And I don't remember. Maybe she's like a coach on some second-rate team or something. Either way, she wants to have a shot. She wants to coach a good team. So something happens. She gets that chance. 
But, you know, of course, because like misogynistic guys, she's put on the roughest, worstest, nastiest team in town deliberately to like run her out. Like she'll obviously fail. And ha ha ha. I'm going to assume it's like East Side High or something like that. Something that sounds probably on MLK Boulevard, you know, one of those as stereotypical as you can be. So she shows up day one and these tough kids obviously don't trust her. They mock her. There's lewd comments. They're eyeballing her, all that kind of stuff. And they're not giving her any respect that she deserves. So she has herself a little brainstorm and she challenges them to an athletic feat. If she can outlap them on the track, she wins. She's their coach. If they, if any one player outlasts her, then she's out, right? She's got to go back to whatever she was doing. Well, she won, wins because the movie doesn't end right here. And now that she's defeated the hooligans in hand-to-hand combat, and what I actually mean is a really slow jogging scene around the track, <laughs> she's won their respect. So now the team's starting to come together. Unfortunately, our pal Woody happens to be a lousy quarterback, but the players know this guy, Bird. I don't quite recall how this part works, but Bird, this like legendary quarterback of the high school. And I don't know how a school has like a legendary quarter high school. It's only four years. Like, how do you get to legendary status and then not play? Like, that, that doesn't work. But whatever. Uh, Goldie's persistent. She's chasing him down everywhere. And then finally, he's like, all right, come with me. And they go out in the evening. I don't really remember exactly the mechanics, but they're off burgling something because he's a bad guy. They almost get caught. And like Han and Bird are hiding under a car and she threatens like she's going to yell, cops, we're here, we're here, uh, unless he agrees to be the quarterback. Mm. He succumbs. Now, having successfully blackmailed an underage felon, she's got her team together. They play and start winning. And it's all good. They have a rival. They steal the rival team's mascot goat and hide it in a locker. How jealous of you are the AT- of the 80s are you, JT? Oh, pretty jealous. Pretty jealous, right? They're now on track for the championship, of course, but the grumpy old white men aren't happy about this. Like they thought she wasn't going to make it. And I think they're through and they're and Bruce McGill is like on the commission of who's the coaches. And those also happens to be the coach of the best team. Right. So they try to put more hurdles in their way. I don't remember what they are, but obviously she gets through them all, but now she's neglecting her children, of course. So they're doing crazy shenanigans at home, you know, like a weird haircut and, Dyeing their hair like an audacious color, like, you know, blue. So, you know, kids are acting out. And, uh, but it's the 80s, so that's as far as they go. Right. Then there's like some victory party. Maybe it's like the pre championship game or something like that. The daughters come because they've been like in the unofficial mascots of the team and like hanging out. One of the girls, high school girl, uh, teen, pre teen girls, or maybe like a sophomore or whatever, she accidentally drinks some booze because they spiked the punch bowl. And gets all drunk and crazy. And, of course, at exactly this moment, her ex shows up. And she's he's saying mean things. You're not a good mom and all this kind of stuff. And the players are listening like, that's not cool, bro. And one of them punches him in the face. Okay. Now, as you know how our system works, of course, the very next day, they're in court. Mm-hmm. And uh, she loses custody of the kids because of the incident. Because she's clearly an incompetent mother now. But the ex gives her the chance if she gives up coaching and like becomes like the tennis coach at this private school or something, then she can keep custody of her kids. So she does and boo. And it's like, oh, and how's this, how are we going to get past this? Well, like three minutes later, we get over it. And the problem's resolved because the players are all like, you got to do this. And she confronts the ex and is like, I'm going to do this thing. And he's like, okay, fine. So she gets the coaching gig back probably like right before the big game, you know, spoiler, she wins. And then there's, I mean, there's all sorts of hijinks in the game. It's one of those, like the old, I don't know the football version, but like where the first baseman has the ball and gets the guy to like get off the plate, just to just put off the base, just to tag him out. Anyhow, it's all good. They're winners. She's got the kids. Everybody's happy. And uh, that's Wildcats. So, First of all, I'm very impressed with your memory right now. Like this one, you remembered a lot of it. I can keep going. I can quote this movie. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. amazed at what's what's bubbling out of the ether there. It's like really impressive. Like because there's a bunch of stuff that I definitely wouldn't even have, ne- have recognized from the little bit that I've seen. So the one thing I, I will say, I remember this being a movie. I have not seen it. I I, I definitely didn't okay. see it. 
Um, I have seen scenes of it because I think it's like there's two two scenes I think that like come up. The one where she runs for sure. Mm-hmm. When I, I have a when I saw her in the the varsity jacket, I was like, oh, she gets like car- carried off a field or something. But like, that's it. Okay, that's as far as it went. What you might have also seen, by the way, there are some scenes with their cheerleading crew because their cheerleaders are also representative of the school and uh, like they're not the most polished, yeah. uh, tightly run ship. And uh, yeah. some of those have made their way into pop culture. They'd, they'd be memes in the modern world. We'll just say that. Yeah, for sure. That, that There was a moment of that in the trailer and I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. For some reason, it was giving me like Kathy Ireland Necessary Roughness vibes, <laughs> like mm. to begin in the very beginning. Oh, I forgot about that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one was, it's funny because we'll talk about that movie maybe a little bit in our list today. But anyway, okay. uh, so my big question to you, and you actually already kind of said it, but my question was going to be, is the director of this movie your favorite director of the 1980s? Uh, ooh, I don't know. I'd have to do a little homework before saying that. But, you know, Michael Ritchie has this crazy weird career. Like, yeah, really, really weird and was like loved and hated and died pretty young and just um, died of prostate cancer, actually. So it's uh, it's a weird thing. But here's the problem. I don't actually love Golden Child. It was actually the first flawed Eddie Murphy movie. And Fletch Lives, while it has some hysterical moments, is otherwise just it's not as bad a sequel as like Caddyshack 2. Okay. But it's now nah, you know, it's kind of watchable. And so, you know, probably not. I, I'm gonna go with probably not. It's hard to not make that John Hughes, actually. Yeah, I well that's why because it was interesting, is like Golden Child, I agree, not like on on the in the pantheon of of what he did in that time frame, it's by far his weakest, in my opinion. But Fletch is so special to you. He also did Cool Runnings, which I know you're a fan of. Oh, I forgot um, about Cool Runnings, yeah. Right? Which now that was 90s, not 80s, to be clear, but that's fine. And, you know, Bad News Bears, again, it's like one of those things where it's, it's a, it is what it is. Hughes is kind of like the de facto answer, probably, I assume, for most people of your age in the 80s because it, like he sort of changed movies forever. But this guy, because of Fletch specifically, I was like, I wonder if this is like Jeremy's guy. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is Fletch has its own special status for me. I, I, we, we, I can have a Fletch episode. Maybe we need to do that at some point. We will to, do just that. Just to go. I first, I'll probably need to like talk about it with my therapist for a few hours, and then like really figure out what my inner child is, is thinking about Fletch. But sure. there's clearly something going on with that movie. I'm all for it. All for it. Now, uh, you know. So, the question at hand, sir, would you watch? Wildcats. So, no. Okay. Uh, basically, okay. because it's like <laughs> it's it's an amalgamation of a bunch of movies I've seen. Right. It's it's Dangerous Minds and it's uh, Longest Yard and it's so I've seen all the tropes they did in this movie. I've seen in other movies that weren't specifically about this. It's Stand By Me or it's it's Lean On Me. You know what I mean? It's like it's the school thing. It's the kids thing. It's the inner city thing. It's the white lady thing. It's the blind side thing. I get it. Like, I totally get it. I don't need to see it. Listen, I do happen to adore her specifically in that time frame. Goldie Hawn was like a monster and she was crushing it. Oh, this was her time. But because of that, it's almost like I don't want to see this because if I haven't seen this and I've seen so many of the other things she did in that time, my guess would be this one's not the strongest. I, it's not super strong. I would I would characterize this as a actually perfect Sunday afternoon movie. Like if you're flipping through the channels and you actually happen to see Wildcats coming on, I, w- I would tune in in a, in a second. Okay. But I wouldn't go out of my way. I, I think with everything you just said, I think you would actually enjoy it because it is all those tropes you actually like. Right. But I think your point is very well said is that there's, it's probably not bringing enough newness. Um, yeah, fair enough. I think that, you know, would you watch? I guess the answer is yeah, yeah, maybe. Like, what, you know, will I watch? Not unless it happens to me. <laughs> yeah, to me, the definitive version is you have to say, yes, I want to go watch this movie. So I'm going to say this does not cut the mustard. No, I don't. I don't want to watch this. I would watch it, but it's not it's not a thing I'm going to seek out. Fair enough. Coming up next week, I will give you a choice, sir. Please. Your option. Again, if you've seen one, you have to tell me. Yep. The first the first choice is Gotcha. Okay. Have you seen Gotcha? Don't think so. All right. Again, I can always tell you something quick about it. No. No. That's okay. No, let's not. The other one is uh, The Secret of Nim. 
Okay, so I've seen Secret of Nim. I okay, couldn't tell I you anything about it, but I have seen it. I, I could enjoy talking about it at some point, but but that wouldn't fulfill the mission of our of our That's journey true. here. So I'm going to move it into the scene it list, and we'll because uh, I do have that list. I want to know every '80s movie JT's ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our first backup choice is The Man with One Red Shoe. Who's in that? You want to know? Tom Hanks is in that movie. Okay, so it's not what I'm thinking of, and the answer is I've not seen it. All right, gotcha. Ooh. Or Tom Hanks. Or no, Tim let's Hanks. let's yeah, let's do Tom Hanks. Okay, I'm keeping Gotcha high on the list for for upcoming though because it, it it's worth the uh, it's a good movie. Okay, it, it, it's worth it. All right, Man with Runner's Shoe coming up next week. Love right. it. So if memory recalls, you might have watched something. I did. So I watched Ford vs. Ferrari because it had come up multiple times on the cast and I had not addressed it yet. I think it's awesome that you watched that movie. Uh, I also think it's awesome that I watched that movie. Uh, and let, let me give you if, you, if you will, give me a minute to explain why. So before I dive into it, it's important to note that I adore cars. Like, genuinely love them. I'm SCCA certified to race. Like, I love cars. Uh, on my honeymoon, we went to Monaco partially just so I could walk the entire track. And I did. Like, this is a thing that I'm very into. You went to, wait, wait, wait. You went to Monaco and walked the actual track? Because like, the track is, is the city streets, right? It is, but I walked it in the, I, I walked it as they run it. Uh, because I actually wanted to, like, feel the corners. Like, I wanted to see how each of these come together in person. Nice. Yeah, which, by the way, oh, unbelievable. It's unbelievable that, that they drive at that speed in that place because those streets are so tight. It was absolutely amazing. My poor wife was like, can we go to the aquarium? This sucks. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, I know. We're just walking right now. But no, we can't. We have to keep doing this. <laughs> nice. Uh, another piece of important information, because the name of the, the film is actually Ford versus Ferrari. Like one of my dream cars is the 2000 Ferrari 550 Marianella Barchetta. So like Ferrari's like very like they are a thing to me. So all of that. I've also extensively researched Carol Shelby and use him often when describing how products are, like sort of work and building products work because this is a guy who takes something that already exists and then puts a new lens on it and makes it better. So he's interesting. So I walked into this movie with a fair amount of knowledge on the topic in general, but also a passing knowledge of the particular story that they were going to tell. Uh, from the beginning, Jeremy, this movie had me instantly. Uh, the first couple minutes here, that open road view, the sound of the car, they do this beautiful, the sound editing, the, the, the sound of the rain on the tires mm -hmm. because it's open wheel, all these little things instantly. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to like this a lot. Shelby being on fire and like just wanting to continue racing. He's like, am I still on fire? No, this isn't a spoiler. Like it was just absolutely hooked. Yeah. I got to say that, that opening scene, I didn't even, I wasn't, I didn't quite put it all together. I actually, I'll be honest. What I thought I was seeing was him going to like die. And <laughs> then, and then the whole rest of the movie would be getting up to that point, you know, like, um, right. Like uh, Lords of the Arabia or something like that. Yeah. 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 No, to totally. And obviously just because I figured out it was Carol Shelby that I didn't think that, but totally would have made sense <laughs> if, if it did. However, the entire Ken Miles story was completely news to me and it's beautifully told. And it's a sobering story. Christian Bale was incredible. Everything about him just felt right. Little details like the way he walked, the way that he acted around and in the car. Like he's Christian Bale, so that doesn't surprise me all that much. Um, but he felt like a race car driver. He felt like a gearhead. Like it's a very particular thing. Damon, I thought, was very good. Matt Damon is always Matt Damon to me. Um, like he's doing Matt Damon, but he's doing a heck of a job being Carol Shelby as Matt Damon. And I'm a fan of that. Bale at some point during this film transitioned and completely out of being Christian Bale and he became Ken Miles. Now, part of that might be because I didn't know a lot about Ken Miles, whereas I did know a lot about Carol Shelby. So maybe that, that I, I accept that. However, all the acting was great. I actually thought Josh Lucas and John Bernthal specifically did a great job in their supporting roles because even though they're not, they don't have a ton of screen time, they're very important to the story. The true hero of this film and I'm saying film with intention because I do think it gets into that realm, is the visual and audio team. 
Andrew Buckland and Michael McCusker won the Oscar for achievement in film editing and Donald Sylvester for sound editing. James Mango directed with uh, Faden Papa Michael as the DP. And I actually really like Faden Papa Michael. Uh, there's a particular scene I want to call out. So Bale as Miles is sitting in the garage and doesn't go to Le Mans the first time that they bring the Ford. And so he sits in the garage listening to the radio and the plane hangar that they use as their mechanics garage. As the plane right. pulls in, the lights hit the Ford and the perfect silhouette of the car is projected on the wall behind Bale. It's enormous to start because that's how light works. But then as the paint plane continues to move, it's sort of, it's you know huge and then it's looming over him and then shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. And then the shadow goes away entirely and you're left with just the man. And I thought it was such a beautiful, beautiful little moment. Like that is such a thoughtful thing, right? It was just, I, I just thought it was so well done. It was a perfect shot. It was a perfect shot. Um, the movie's still new, so I don't want to go into more detail because the story is really important and I don't want to spoil it. So with that being said, I will definitely encourage people to see this. The movie transcends cars. It transcends racing. It's a beautifully told story that's incredibly well acted and could not be, I think, visually and auditorially better, better put together. This is an easy eight approaching nine for me. Well said. By the way, I... Um agree with you on the lot. I, I went looking at the Academy Awards for it and I'm surprised it wasn't even up for best cinematography. Cause I actually think the way they picked camera angles, like yeah, the, like doing certain things down at like the track level, other things from aerial shots. Like I, I was, and then I went looking at the list and to be candid, I haven't seen 1917, which was the winner. So I can't speak to it. Uh, Irishman's up here, which I don't know. Cinematography wise was really so special. I don't know. Anyhow, um, good take. All right. In in following format, we have our key questions for JT, having watched Ford versus Ferrari. Five questions today. First question. Uh, it's sort of a hybrid question. How fun and or real was the driving and racing? So it's sort of a two-part question. Was it fun and was it realistic from your perspective? So it was definitely fun. I thought they did a really good job uh, of doing it. Um, the Funny enough, the movie's not really about the driving much. And so there wasn't a ton of opportunity for lack of realism. There mm. was some stuff that I thought was actually really clever, the way the brakes burn, Ken Miles walking the track and really understanding the bank and, and sort of the angles that he needed to take, uh, you know, sort of the RPM stuff. There was a lot of very neat nods to cardom in this. Uh, there was nothing that glared at me where I was like, that's not a thing. Uh, but it's also because it's based on a true story and like that track is actually really well known. So like all of that stuff is, is well documented and they did a good job of saying it. So, yeah, I would say that they actually on both fronts were, were really good. Fair enough. Uh, what was and I think he did a great job as well. But what was Christian Bale's accent? Interesting. So funny. I thought about that, too. Uh, so, I mean, it's supposed to be just British. But like British, like maybe leaning into Cockney and or Welsh. But it definitely there were moments of break where I was like, you're you're dialect dancing right now, which is one of my least favorite things. But I also don't know the dialects well enough to be able to specifically call it out. And I also didn't know where Ken Miles was from. So like right. if people say he's Welsh. I'm like, Welsh is hard for me because it could be there's a couple different versions of Welsh. So, OK, right. Like he definitely wasn't it wasn't an English accent like a traditional pompous, I'm in, in the crown sort of deal. But it was good. But that's a fair question. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I thought the first third of the movie, it was Aussie. Like that's, I, I, it was definitely ranging. Yeah, for sure. Is Josh Lucas better as a good guy or a bad guy? Good question. And it would have, I think my answer would have been different before this movie and after. I kind of like bad. He was pretty good as a smarmy marketing guy. I really, really didn't like him in this. And I was like, yeah. oh, he's doing good. Like there was a couple moments in this where he, and it wasn't the stuff that was written. It was like the, just the way he looked at stuff, the way he approached things, his tone of voice. Like I was like, oh no, I actually dislike you. You're good at yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Cause he, he managed to do smarmy and, and he, you know, oftentimes they'll do characters where they show the character going into almost like a level of incompetence. I felt like, I felt like he didn't with him. Actually, Jeremy, that's beautifully said. That's exactly why I liked it. I, I, I hadn't thought of it until you just said that. The reason I liked him is because he didn't feel like he was screwing up. He felt like he was doing the right thing, and that's why he was annoying. Right. Which is – that's hard to play. That's a hard thing to play because it's easy to play. I'm an idiot. Favorite uh, – do you have a favorite scene or moment? Uh, the one that I just talked about. Yeah. I okay. mean, that 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 shot is – I mean, that's like a – 
that's approaching top 10 favorite individual shots in film that I can think of. I really like the one with Henry Ford, the second, uh, when, when, uh, Damon takes him on that one hot lap. I thought that was, that scene was, that's a great scene. Fun to watch. It was fun to watch, but I actually thought it was, it transcended out of just being kind of a joke into like a really nice moment of the movie. Yeah, it was a really nice moment. They did a great job of laying that in. Also, it's a pivotal moment because it, it like right. it, they they found a way to make it important as opposed to just like fun, which I yes. thought was really smart. Yeah, that's also a great scene. Now, uh, I didn't warn you about this, but you have to play the following game. I'm going to name for you 10 movies. Uh, you've already named John Berthal, Bernthal, who played Lee Iacocca. By the way, I wish he had more screen time in this movie. Um, he was really good. He was very good. Are you familiar with the actor Corey Stoll? Not off the top of my head. We'll just say he looks exceptionally like John Bernthal, so much so that were you to Google it right now, you'd be like, oh, that guy. Don't, don't, no, 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 you can't Google it. Because okay. I will name one thing Corey Stoll was in. Uh, oh, I don't know if you've seen this. This is a problem, possibly. Have you seen House of Cards? Yes. Okay. Corey Stoll was, I believe, a senator. And, uh, and Frank Underwood drove him to, I, I think I actually killed him in the garage, like uh, through inhalation. Okay. I, think I, know you're ta- I know you're talking about. Looks exactly like John Berthaw. Sure. So we've outed Ford and Ferrari and House of Cards. I have eight titles left. You have to tell me which of them was in each. Oh boy. Okay. You may or may not know any of the titles. I don't know. We'll Let's see how many points you get. So there's eight points to be had. Punisher, the TV series. Oh, that's Berthaw. Baby Driver, the movie. Stole. Birdball. Billions, the TV show. Stole. Ant-Man, the movie. Burnthal. Stole. Oh. First Man, the movie. Oh, I didn't see it, so I'm just going to guess Burnthal. Stole. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, no. Burnthal. Yes. Okay. Midnight in Paris. Stall. Correct. And uh, nonstop. Didn't see it, so I'll guess Burnthal. Stall. Five out of eight. Not bad, considering two you didn't see. Okay. But then afterwards, go Google that, because you're going to look at these two and be like, oh, my. Especially when they have a, um, a serious expression. Yeah. They kind of take it in different, act- different ranges when they're smiling and happy and all that. But when they're serious and intense, they look the same. Well, it's funny because it, it really rung true when you said Wolf of Wall Street because I saw them both in the same moment and went, oh, no, now I don't know who it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Well, now we know you watched it and uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, go Thanks see for that playing my little game, buddy. I love it. Go see that movie, everyone, immediately. It's really good. I wonder how many texts JT will have received by this moment from his friends who are like, finally. Probably a couple. If for nothing else, because people assume I'm going to see a movie like that because I I am a really bad car nerd. Now, would you have seen that movie if it had starred, I don't know, Keanu Reeves? Sure would have. What if it had starred Alex Winter? Who? That guy. I don't know who he is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about some movies that you might know him from or or one or two. (laughs) So this week's episode is the uh, Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted uh, tribute episode. I don't know something about Bill and Ted, in which JT and I try to figure out the top five movies starring either Bill S. Preston Esquire or Ted Theodore Logan. Thank you. <laughs> Here's the thing, y'all. It turns out that between Mr. Reeves's career and Mr. Winter's career, there's not. I'm going to go with Slim Pickens, right? Like if Keanu Reeves was in like 11 good movies or so, uh, him with Alex Winter have been in like 12 good movies or so. (laughs) So when, you know, this is my second flub on this of picking a category that just sounded really cool and fun at the time, but there wasn't much to work with. So over the course of the week, we've been uh, going a little backs and forthies and what to do with it. JT, what was your take on this uh, little research research work we were doing well first of all i want to play a quick game uh can you take a stab at what keanu reeves has sold in ticket sales money wise oh that's a fun question 
adjusted? Like what, give me some context. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's not adjusted. It's just total ticket sales. Are we including Toy Story 4? So this was as of 2019. So that might actually not include that, to be honest. I will go with $1.3 billion. Mm, you're a little off. It's $4.5 billion. Uh, what, what did it? That's Well, he wow. did remember all the matrixes. Is, 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 is. Yeah. But that's uh, just three have, of them. Anyhow, do you have, I, do you I have, believe you. Do you have a guess for Alex Winters? Oh, um, <laughs> what was it? You're at 400 billion, uh, 401 billion um, yeah. or a million. No, four point something billion. Uh, let's see, Alex Winters. So that would be those movies together. Uh, 150 million. Yeah, about that. Okay. <laughs> so just less, just it's a close. lot less than Keanu Reeves. <laughs> it's what we would call a rounding error. <laughs> First of all, I couldn't believe that Reeves was that high. I was like, oh, I guess why would he be? But then, you know, whatever. I mean, 4.5 billion is a, that's a lot of ticket sales. But if it's like global, I'm like, yeah, you know what? That, I guess that tracks with the three matrixes. Is, 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 is. Uh, but my other thought on this one was that, yeah, look, I immediately just leaned into, I'm not going to do anything for Alex Winters. And I'm just going to look at this as like, what are my favorite top five Keanu Reeves movies? <laughs> so what was it? Was it, I think Tuesday morning when I texted you like, Hey, we're going to have the same list. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that we would have, but then JT's like, no, 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 man. I got a way to counterbalance your list. And then I start naming the movies. He's about to counterbalance my list. So he's like, okay, fine. You're right. And then we kind of brainstorm what to do with it. And so what we decided to do is just change up our format because our rules are format and make it work for the content we have. Because the truth is, the movies we're picking are movies we love talking about. So that's our that that's what drives us here. And we're going to make it work. So the way we did it is we're, instead of picking the top five, we have ranked what we consider the 10 uh, definitive movies in the uh, Criterion, Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, 10-disc DVD box set, Ultimate Platinum Edition with special behind-the-scenes featurettes. Correct. So we've got our effectively desert island disc and we each had to get rid of one movie but otherwise actually had the same so we had nine in common and had to get rid of one what was your one that fell out sir so my one that i removed uh was a scanner darkly which i saw and i mean it had so much potential but i felt as a movie it fell a little and my pick was uh, Parenthood, which I don't think you've seen. No, I haven't. And to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, it's not like Candace Finder's performance and, and is was definitely the bottom one on the list. Uh, but the movie itself is great. So we're going to put that into the movies JT should watch without me pitching them to him. Sure. Category. And uh, you want to go through our, our, our actual working uh, collection here? Yeah. So I'll, I'll read through them in chronological order so that we don't give away what the actual list is. Um, so basically it goes, number one was The Lost Boys, which was July 31st, 1987. Uh, technically we, we've got, so I'm going to say 11, but one of them is going to, we'll, we'll remove and it'll be clear why, which is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, February 17th, 1989. Point Break, which was July 12th, 91. Speed, which was 94. Devil's Advocate, which was 97, The Matrix, which was 99, The Replacements, which is 2000, Something's Gotta Give, 2003, John Wick, 20, uh, 2014, John Wick 2, 2017, Toy Story 4, 2019. Not a bad list. That's the working list. Well, listen, if you if you take just those, you go, oh, this is a pretty good list. If you then look at a lot of the other stuff that is, he's done, you go, hey, it's not as good. <laughs> not as good. The Lake House didn't make the cut. No, neither did Constantine. <laughs> I don't know why. So we're uh, what we're going to do is we're each going to run through our bottom five, our 10 through sixes, and then we'll spend a bit more time going through our top five. And these are our personal opinion, definitive orders of Keanu Reeves or Alex Winter's performance in movies. And let's do our – I think for this category, it's not really the Shawshank. It's the face-off. Yeah, basically. Well, we have to have more names for bits. <laughs> do we? <laughs> don't we? Isn't that a thing? I don't know. I don't know. 
Well, so the face off because the face off episode we rolled out face off because it was the one that brought. Oh no no no! I love that you're naming this. That's fine. We're just gonna. It's a continually a continual line of us naming things. So the face off rule is the Bill and Ted, like Bill and Ted is off the list because it's a Bill and Ted inspired episode. So we'll just remove Bill and Ted. Although Boom. I think it's important to note that if it was on the list, if it was allowed on the list, it would have been on your list. Oh yeah, and it would not have been on my list. Right, which which maybe is worth a little quickie. So Bill and Ted just wasn't was it timing? How old were you? Time it. Well, I was born in 85, so I was four when it came out. It would have been hysterical to a four-year-old. Yeah, I don't know. No. It just for it wasn't it, it it wasn't in the zeitgeist for me. And by the time it was, it was outdated. Yeah, the the, the I guess the Beethoven and uh and Napoleon references to the four-year-old. I mean, my kid plays with his Beethoven doll all the time. Sure, all the time. All the time. <laughs> Removes the head, puts on different makeup. It's a great right. toy. Now, if okay. if you're talking Charles Grodin, Beethoven, when I'm four, I'm in. I love that dog. But the other Beethoven, not so much. I, I will say, though, we watched it with the kids about two years ago, and they actually really enjoyed it. So I believe it, it. it holds up to quite – it actually holds up pretty well as an overall kind of storytelling, et cetera, et cetera. Fair. Uh, I love Bill and Ted's. Bill and Ted's was like a huge, huge kid, uh, middle not middle adolescent, teenage movie for me. The, the mere fact that it had the circle K was so big because I was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the time. And circle they had circle Ks and not 7-Elevens. But a lot of the country was like, a seven, it's like a 7-Eleven country with circle K is like, it's like the Avis of, uh, of grocery, gas station, quickie mart things. Sure. But we had circle Ks. And I would go to the, in fact, I would go to one Circle K on the way home from school every day just to play uh, Contra, right? Oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm just saying it has a special dear place in my heart. So when Strange Things Are Afoot at the Circle K became a thing, (laughs) and like my only friends were either in Albuquerque with me or from Montreal who had never heard of a Circle K, right? I was like a boss. Fair. Totally makes sense. So that might be that. I don't know. Just I love the movie. It's great cast, Bernie Casey, George Carlin. I mean, oh, it's super fun. Like it's super, super fun. But just like again, in comparison to the other stuff where I've seen and like played some role in how I see, I've watched films or not. I guess I don't know. It listen. It very easily. I honest to God, I could probably take anything six through ten and put that in, and it, it probably belongs there as much as any of the other four do. But I, I, I was, I was not going to just because I wanted to have this conversation. <laughs> Fair enough. Did you see uh, the face the music one yet? Because you can, can you stream it or something? I don't know. Is it? It's out there I, somewhere. It's available. I don't know where, but no, I have not seen it yet. Maybe we should make that a thing. We both watch the same week. Maybe we should. Maybe we should have a watch party. Co-viewing, live tweeting, insta living, snapping it. We'll do something. All right, let's dive into our list because we're gonna take a long time with this if we don't get going. Uh, would, would, would I like to take the honors? Yes. Yes, I would. Yes, I would. So 10 through 6 in in exact order that I have them placed here. Uh, the Replacements is my 10th pick. Ken Reeves, I don't felt it too much. Something's Gotta Give, same statement. Devil's Advocate, same statement. Even though he was the lead of the movie, just Pacino owned that movie. Uh, seventh, I have Toy Story 4, and it's only in seventh based on the assumption that he outperformed his other performances because I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But I'm going to go with a safe bet that he was at least better than those three movies. But since the next six were, I think he did a good job, I can't put him above there. So it's an unfair seventh place, but just giving my reasoning. And in sixth, John Wick 1. Okay. So we're pretty much aligned, but not entirely. Go for it. So my number 10 is the replacements because I just ha- I couldn't not have replacements on my list, obviously. It is your uh, favorite movie of all time. That is untrue, but oh, I love okay. that you think that. And you're going to keep bringing it up so that it's recorded in posterity forever. Yeah. If you say it enough times, it's true. That's right. <laughs> I then have uh, Devil's Advocate. Devil's Advocate number nine. Okay. I have The Lost Boys at eight. Oh, I have point break at seven. Wow. 
And I have something's got to give at six. Okay. This is going to be fun. So the only thing I will say is I think already from our two lists that we've seen so far, I think I am putting a little more weight into the movie than you are, as opposed to simply the performance. Uh, probably. Probably. I mean, because otherwise something's got to give sort of goes straight to the top of the list. Right. If you're doing like pure movie quality. Well, and the reason that I have that higher, that's why it's six. Mm. It almost made my fifth is because even though he is genuinely like the fifth most important person in that movie and everybody else, he's way, way on the bottom. What he did in that movie because of the role and because of how strong the rest of the performances in the movie itself were, I thought was pretty interesting. So anyway. So we, so we, can I, can I, are, are we, am I right that you are sort of Jeremying your list and I'm JTing mine? Yes. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We've entered the twilight zone. <laughs> Crazy. Let's dive, let's dive in. My fifth place entry, The Matrix. Wow. Go ahead. Now, again, because this is just, I was trying to be just performance oriented. And it would be my opinion that I felt Keanu in The Matrix was a very one-dimensional note. Um. Not as much as he was in the bottom movies I picked, but I don't think he really had a lot of range. He's sort of either confused or a little fish out of water for a bit of the movie or at the very end, kicking some butt. So he was a good student and he sort of played that confused teach me, teach me. And that led into the, again, the fish out of water thing. Uh, I didn't really, other than they're both so stark, I felt that the uh, uh, Neo-Trinity um, romance was sort of the most obvious thing I'd ever seen based on how the actors looked. From the moment <laughs> you see both of those two actors on screen, you're like, oh, they're going to be a couple. So I don't know. I, don't get me wrong. The Matrix is possibly my favorite movie of all of these 10. But as strictly looking at his performance, I thought it wasn't his strongest work. I thought he got a little better, a little better younger, a little better later. But this wasn't my favorite of his straight up performances. There you have it. I respect your opinion and disagree wholeheartedly. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I will address where I think that belongs on the list when I get to it. I would love to hear that. What is your fifth place entry? So my fifth place entry, I actually think is probably the best movie on this list in the sense of like what a movie actually, like just in general, but I have Toy Story 4. Okay. So he plays a bit part in comparison to everybody else. Uh, his performance was actually very funny. Uh, he's very good. That is a beautiful story. That is a very hard thing to do is to actually wrap something up well. And they wrapped it up really well. I actually think that might be the best installment of that series, which is impossible to do basically as the fourth. Ooh. Uh, and I thought he nailed it. Like I thought for what he needed to do, like he was very funny and it was clever. Uh, and again, I'm giving the weight of that particular film a lot, a lot of weight uh, as opposed to just saying his performance. Because again, it's voice acting, right? So like not to take away from voice vocal performances because it's actually sure. very difficult to do well. Uh, but, you know, like he was better in Something's Gotta Give, which is also a great movie. But I just think Toy Story 4 is so good that I, I wanted to put it in the top five. Uh, I have one really cool piece of trivia I didn't know, which I just want to read. I'm not going to make you guess it. <laughs> so uh, there's an Obi-Wan Kenobi and Ponda Baba action figure that can briefly be seen inside the pinball machine. And if you viewed carefully, Obi-Wan is repeatedly striking Ponda on the arm with his lightsaber, which is a reference to A New Hope in the in the cantina when he slices his arm off. And that's really funny. Ah, that's cool. <laughs> that's neat. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like almost like I wanted to go find that part and be like, oh, that's really, that's cute. Like what a cute little Easter egg. I have to watch Toy Story 4, I guess. You really do. I know. I know. I don't, it's about, oh, I think it was one of those, like my wife took the kids to see it. And so therefore they had seen it. For whatever reason, I don't have the kids who rewatch movies a billion times. Like I never had the, oh, good, we've seen Frozen for the 483rd time in this house. Right. I can see a movie once, they sort of move on for the most, other than Hamilton, which they just keep keep going, which I don't mind, actually, but because it's good music. All right. My fourth one absolutely doesn't belong here in any way whatsoever at all. I acknowledge that. It's The Lost Boys. 
Okay. It's only here because I wanted to talk about it for a hot minute. I love the movie. Yeah. Alex Winter has a highly, highly forgettable, for, forgettable um, performance. You know, he's random vampire number 33. Right. I think he does one jump scare and probably gets killed immediately after. Probably has like one line, like, let's go get him or something like that. But I like The Lost Boys so much, and I just had to put it here. Yeah, it's fair. So The Lost Boys, just for, to, to let everybody in, The Lost Boys is the one that you wanted on the list. And I was just like, I don't I don't want to make an... There's no Alex Winter editions on my list. I don't want to. However, because I know that you love the movie so much and because Lost Boys is a... I don't know. I wouldn't call it an important film, but, but it's like it does hold a place in popular culture for good reason. Yeah, there's not a gold-plated DVD at the, at the Smithsonian. No, 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 there's not. There should be. Should there be? <laughs> no. Although I could, I could go long on Lost Boys uh, as a as a just a fun like. Lost Boys is almost the definitive what it's supposed to be kind of. Lost Boys is to like vampire movies, almost like Fast and Furious was to like car movies. Yeah, you could adapt, like. There's a version of this universe where there's nine Lost Boys movies, and by the you know, and the seventh one, like Alex Winters come back, and now he's the best computer hacker ever. Yeah. Um, but that world didn't happen. So you know, token Lost Boys entry. Let's move on. What's your fourth? So my fourth is the original John Wick. Go on. Uh, so I think as a standalone movie, I really like it. Uh, it's just, I mean, you know, it's, it's a great movie. The John Wick sort of franchise I'm really into for a lot of reasons. I think they're doing a lot of things right. Uh, this one, I, I just sort of felt like, you know, listen, there was a lot of, in the original, I'll talk more about it because I have another John Wick on my list later. This one I have here because I think it was, Really well done. It set up the series really well. I thought his performance was good, although I will give you he had a little bit of Keanu one note in this, but also that was kind of story driven. I actually think the 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 script in the first one wasn't great because it was kind of like mad. Like what's his what's he feel? Mad. What else does he feel? Nope, just mad. So which I get, like that was sort of the plot line. Right. I think it was good. You know, listen, Will, Willem Dafoe was really good in it. Uh I did like I actually think in hindsight, they did a really good job of not expanding the universe too much too fast. It was very controlled and very, very directed. Like it was like, this is happening. And they just sort of, they sort of stayed in the lane, which I actually think served the, the, the film well. I don't think it served Keanu's ability to do something more interesting with it well, uh, but it's good. And John Wick is great. And so for that reason, you know, it needed to be in the top five and it's better than Toy Story because it's like actually him performing. So yeah, John Wick, fourth. Fair enough. And by the way, had it not been for me forcing Lost Boys in, it probably would have hit my fifth. I actually think I think he was a little tighter in the Matrix. Like he did have more range. I agree. He was very, very one note in John Wick. But I don't fault him for that. I think I, I think you're right. Like there was no like you have to be mad for the next two hours, please. Like <laughs> yeah, right. don't Go get don't lighten up. Right. Go be pissed. Have a good time. Like right. that was basically the direction. Like, yeah. Can I have like, can I have like some sugar and just kind of cheer up for a bit? No, <laughs> you cannot. Right. Uh, but that brings me to my third, which is John Wick two, mm. where I do think actually there was a bit more opportunity to play with the character uh, and play with the universe, right? The continental actually now matters and we understand why and it's got some world building uh, I think I think we're probably on the same page that by three they've taken that world a little too far, just just slightly, like yeah. like just a smidge. Just go back to like level, go back to John Wick two level of you know world building, not not level three, because uh, by John Wick three it's like just watching a video game. But yeah, John Wick two. I mean to be candid, I think his interactions in and around the Continental with um, Daniels, what's his name, uh, uh, Brodick, um, Brodick, Brodick. Lance Riddick, Reddick. Lance, yeah, Lance Reddick and Ian McShane. Yeah. And yeah, and Ian McShane, who's awesome. So I think those scenes alone push him into a, a just a much more interesting place. Yep. I think that's fair. I uh I'll talk more about John Wick too later. Later in the show. Well then <laughs> what what will you talk about in your third place position here? So I think my three is your is going to be your number one, but I don't know. 
So I'm guessing you don't have to confirm. I don't want you to confirm, but I have. It's sp- not. It's not. Okay, I have speed. <laughs> I have speed. So I thought. So listen, speed is speed, right? Like it's there. There has now been a billion versions of speed, right? There's speed on planes and boats and skis and I don't know, like whatever. Uh, I thought he was. I don't know, like something about his performance and speed actually always bummed me out is that like he just seems like sort of like dumb and that good things are happening in spite of his dumbness as opposed to being, you know what I mean? Like he almost feels like it's like like fortune favors him as opposed to like mm. being really well put together. Uh, Speed's a really good movie. I happen to be, a, I'm a big Sandra Bullock fan. I thought she was actually really good. Uh, also love Alan Ruck in this movie just because I just like when he's around, he makes me laugh even when he's being terrible. Um, yeah, I, I just think it was good. Speed to me is like, it's a good, it's like kind of a quintessential Keanu performance where again, I don't think his range is super, he can't go wide, but on the one or two things you allow him to feel, he goes pretty deep <laughs> and speed to me was like a pretty good, like, yeah, you're like, you're doing, you're doing good, buddy. <laughs> I, I think that's well said. Speed's so much speed second on my list. Okay. Uh, and so I'll just, I'll, I'll keep the ball rolling with that. The, thing is i've actually it, it really was number one on my list for a long time and i i kind of got into one nugget of a thing we'll talk about that in a second i think he shows a lot of range and speed and it's almost if he had not been in such signature movies like the matrix like john wick uh and like bill and ted's etc i think we'd have looked back and like speed as his real signature role uh i think he wasn't that big at the time. He's much, much bigger now. Like, Kendrick has a weird career in that he's he kind of jumps to the top of the, like, becomes A-plus Hollywood star, and then just sort of goes away for a little while, and then comes right back, and then, and you know, it ebbs and flows much, much faster, though, than most other actors. Like, if you look at it at the beats, it's about every three, four years, he just shows up, has some movie you wouldn't have expected, right? After Speed is Devil's Advocate in 97, which, you know, fine. Uh, and then into Matrix in 99. John Wick uh, 1 doesn't come out till 2014, yeah. right? And, and he had a couple of movies in the middle, but they weren't standout. Speed, on the other hand, took us all by storm. Like when Speed came out, it was before we had really realized that there was this genre called, you know, Die Hard on a Bus or Die Hard on a Plane or Die Hard in a, you know, Nakatomi Plaza or wherever Die Hard's going to take place. So it was a whole new thing. And, and I think it actually, in a lot of ways, Speed invented the diehard in a situation as that it could actually be reused and reworked. I thought his range was fun. Like, he's playful. He's got to be sentimental a little bit with Sandra Bullock. He cheers up the whole bus a bunch of times. He's sad about losing his partner. I think that's probably actually his weakest moment in the movie. It's just like, this is supposed to be his best buddy. And it's sort of... He just sort of moves on from it in a really quick way. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, uh, I I remember, like, you didn't think of Keanu Reeves as a one-note guy after watching Speed. It's, I guess, the way I look at it. That's fair. Yeah, actually, as you're saying it, you might be convincing me out of what I said before. I actually, now, now thinking back to Speed a little bit more, I think the partner thing always bothered me so much. Like, that <laughs> just felt like that it really did. I was just like, we're just going to move past this now? That might right. be why. I might be... I might be tying myself to him being one note because he missed that particular note and not giving him enough credit for the other stuff, uh, which is fair. Yeah, yeah, you know what, Jeremy? That's that's uh, well said. I like it. Do you know that uh, both De Niro and Nicholson were uh, approached to be in Speed? Hate hate that. How crazy! Yeah, like in his role or in in Hopper's role. Uh, I think what I think that was the combo. I don't know which. I I would assume. Nicholson as the uh, Hopper and De Niro as Swayze. Oh, weird. That would be my side. The 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 research did not go so far. Anywho, <laughs> uh, okay. What, so so my, what's your second? Now I'm going. Now I'm looking at the list. What have you not talked? Oh, this is your. So well, my number two is I'm gonna. Now it's the Matrix. Now it's the Matrix. Okay. So I genuinely disagree with your take on his performance in the Matrix. Go for it. Because prove me wrong. I, Let's hear it. I think the thing with the thing with Neo in the Matrix in setting the series up, which they knew it was a series, is I actually, again, similar to, to the first John Wick, 
I think the notes that he hit, he hit perfectly. And I think he had only the range that, that he could have had. Because I think if you gave Neo more, a larger worldview and you gave him more range of emotion, he would have been incapable of, of doing the discovery that he does. Like, I actually think he needed to be that concrete and that sort of like boxed in. Otherwise, I think the story doesn't work. Uh, I agree. The Trinity thing was kind of stupid. They made a lot of choices that were that I think were sort of like whatever. Like you know, clearly we know how this is going to end. Um, but they also knew that it was serving a, a larger purpose, a purpose that they basically ruined with the second and third one specifically, but specifically the third one. Uh, but I, I actually think it was really good. Like I think that like I don't know. It's just one of those things where there's so much in that movie that I think his haplessness and his like sort of disenfranchised sort of like meh nature is what sells you and what makes his coming of age that spectacular is that he seemed so sort of hapless and single-minded throughout the rest of it that I actually think it serves a purpose. And I think he probably made a choice to be that way in order to make when he flies off the screen in the end to be a clap, like a clapping in a movie theater moment, which is what happened when this thing came out. Right. right? And I think if he had shown a, a greater range as a character, it would have been like he always had it in him. I think it was it was more important to feel like he didn't have it and he was failing and he was consistently failing, which is why people lost their mind when he flew. You know what I mean? Sure. And look, maybe the way they wrote the story, which is that it's the the character arc is more like a mild slope that ends with like a really big spike. <laughs> you yeah. know, because that is what happens, right? He's kind of the same he, he has learned Kung Fu. He has learned bullet time. He has learned this. He's learned that. But even until the very end, he's not like, he's not Neo. He's just sort of. Yeah, he sucks. Yeah. But that's what I like is he sucks. Right. Like I thought he played I suck really well, which is what made him when he not sucked be really exciting. Uh, the only thing I wanted to bring up because it was one, the sentence made me laugh. But two, uh, so Leo turned down Neo. Did you know that? A lot of people apparently turned down Neo. I did not know that was one of them. So DiCaprio specifically, like literally they offered it to him and he was like, there's too many special effects, but also just Leo turned down Neo made me laugh. So I wanted to say it out loud. It, it sounds nice. He would have been terrible. As much as I like him, I think he would have been terrible in this. Oh, brutal. It would have been absolutely brutal. Yeah. That would actually, that, that could have been our, oh, you know what we should have done for each case? Would Alex Winter have pulled off a better performance? <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> you don't know that. All right, my top, number my number one pick didn't make your top five. It is, in fact, Point Break. I knew it. Now, before I dive in on him for a second, my favorite trivia about this movie is that Patrick Swayze was cast. They were cast in the, each other's roles and switched. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. They were. I don't know if they were. I don't know when this switch happened. And it was probably before any principal work was done. But yeah, they started different and then switched. Uh, which I just think is crazy. That is crazy. Um, This was, remember, at this point, it's 91. We have just seen Bill and Ted's a couple of years ago. And in Bill and Ted's, Keanu Reeves is just a big, hapless dummy, funny, cute guy. Like, he, he's the, he is actually the dumber of the two, right? Alex Winter, uh, Bill, wait, is he Ted? Uh-oh. <laughs> No, yeah, Alex Winter's Bill. Bill Bill is the smarter of our two hapless young lads. Uh, and so when speed when uh, Point Break comes out, and all of a sudden he's you, the truth is, Keanu Reeves actually plays through many emotions in this movie. His, his whether you buy the romance with with uh, Laurie Petty or not, whether you buy his frustrations trying to catch him down, his bromance with Swayze trying to get in the team trying to still be an FBI guy. I actually like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I actually could make the argument that I think Keanu Reeves performance for Keanu Reeves in point break has the widest range of character. It is the, it is the widest character he plays, whether it's his best performance, whether it's the most fun to watch, but I think it's him with the most acting so that's my call and i don't need uh i don't know if anyone's gonna agree with me i'm okay i'm okay if every single listener is like you are so wrong 
But I'm gonna I won't fight for that point that I think he showed the widest range. That's not to say he nailed every bit of it perfectly. Um, but I was really into that character, and I think he did great. No, you know what, Jeremy? I think that's actually perfectly said. What you what you just said, I think, nails it. Is and it, it, it potentially makes me rethink Point Break. I thinking about it now. I don't disagree. That's the most range he's ever had as a character. I don't think he nailed all the ranges, but I will hundred yeah, percent agree with you that he that that is the widest character he's ever had to actually portray, at least in in the realm of like the movies that were good. Uh, so yeah, that's actually interesting. You know what? That that makes me rethink this a little bit. You know, I was trying to channel my inner JT. How's this actor doing? And that's uh, that's where that went to. Yeah, I like it. I still don't think it would be my number one because he didn't. I, I don't think of him as nailing. Like, if there's six different modalities he needs to sort of tap into, he probably only like crushed two of them, and four of them are like, "Hey, look at him doing stuff." Yeah. Uh, but the fact that he had to go that wide, I do think is interesting. That's I like that. I like that pick. But yours is the deuce. Mine is John Wick too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Go. This to me is specifically more he benefits from the second story being a better story. Mm. So the world expanded, which allowed him to have more emotion. They introduced history. They introduced relationship that he had with other people. Like he had to kill a friend. All of a sudden, there was more than just a singular driving force behind his performance. And so he had to be a little bit more thoughtful. Like he just had to actually exist with other people and without singular purpose. Which to me just changed it changed the movie and it changed his role significantly and I, and I do think that the reason that two is so successful and three fails for me is because one needed to set up who he was two he was perfectly set up for who he was they expanded the universe just enough he was surrounded by other really good actors the story made sense the villains made sense and it just it allowed him to really sort of kind of breathe John Wick in a little bit and make him bigger and make him more approachable and human as opposed to just like the, I'm going to go kill everybody now. And then in the third one, I think it probably, I think for me, his role in the second one benefits from how bad the third one became because they leaned into unbelievable villains. We're now just in the fast and furious world of everything is possible. Don't worry about how many bullets you have or whatever. Things will just happen. Whereas the second one still kind of felt true enough to the first one of like, let's just make a really good, this could have unlikely but possible, plausible action movie. And two, because of the expanded universe and not the ridiculousness yet, I think kind of nailed it. And I thought he did it perfectly. I think that's really well said, JT. And I agree with you. Uh, John Wick 2 is a, is a tight, you know, exaggerated action movie script. And yeah. John Wick 3, I, I can't get away from the analogy. It's, it is a straight up video game. Like, you, you know, literally like he finds loot boxes and like you yeah. watch, you see the main bad guy, watch him defeat the lesser bad guys and all like there was yeah. one scene in particular where you can, it's like he literally is going up a level. Yeah, <laughs> like they literally level him up. And yeah. it's also like for me, villainism is a big thing. Like I really want my villains to be believable and I want their, their art to make sense. Obviously, like that should just be like a core thing for anyone who likes movies. But like in that one, they use the Iron Chef guy and like he's good, but he is an overactor by nature. Right. And it just became so cartoony. And I was like, it just broke my heart because like watching it, I'm like, this movie only suffers from like three or four problems. But the three or four of them collectively became a huge problem for me. It's still fun. Like, don't get me wrong. It's still like a good it's a fine movie to watch. But in comparison to the first two, it's a it's a it's a dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm going to go with that might be slightly strongly phrased. Yeah, probably. Sometimes I do that. <laughs> just, you know, just a little. But uh I would just say it's not as strong. I would give it I think still think John Wick 3 to me is at least a B minus C plus. I'll give you it's a C C plus for me Max. It's not getting into B territory. In a Mortal Kombat, John Wick 3, Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going. I think we're, I think I guess the order would have to be John Wick 3, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's definitely, Street Fighter's at the bottom of the list. Without I, guess it, I guess it has to be. Yeah. Well, that's a fun take on the list there. 
Yeah, I like, you know what, this is actually, I, I want to keep this potentially for future either or actors where we do their top 10 and then dive in because I think it's fun to, because I think the first one's kind of set the stage, which is kind of a nice little little trope. And as always, for our listeners, let us know where you disagree. Like, what, what, what did we miss? Maybe you love Much Ado About Nothing. I don't know. Holler at us. Tell us. Uh, they didn't love Much Ado About Nothing. <laughs> that, probably probably That not. is... Uh, definitely not going to be the case. Well, that also means that we're going to do... So it's my turn for next week's top five. And so I'm going to tell you what our top five will be. And it's it's very much being driven by the fact that I'm a dad. And this is a season where certain uh, channels on TV do their all their holiday sort of stuff. And for all the holiday stuff, it always makes me think specifically because I have a four-year-old of animation. So I want to do our top five favorite animated movies. Oh, boy. Boy. Oh, my. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that's going to be – that is that is a category. Yeah. All forms of animation. So that's that's why I like this. I like it because I don't want to be prescriptive specifically about the animation. It's any animation – and favorite, not best. We'll do best at some point too, where we actually break down why we think. But these ones favorite. specifically because it's your favorite. What's your favorite animated movie? Zuh. Okay. Okay. I'm in. Um, all right. Well, look, man, I want to say let's, you know, I'm going to have a good weekend. I'm going to go uh, blackmail myself an underage felon again because <laughs> – Having come up with that phrasing, I'm just going to reuse it all week long. Yeah. Well, you have fun with your blackmailing and everybody else. You enjoy your weekend. Thanks for letting us be your wingman. man.